Welcome, everybody. Great to be here in another encounter of the data on Kubernetes community. We're getting close to number 40 in terms of the meetups that we've done. Actually, and that would only be reflecting the meetups that we've done in English. We've now been doing some meetups in Spanish, um, have some more coming on the way as well there too. Do, also doing meetups in Portuguese. We will be doing a meeting, um, uh, a meetup in Hindi at the end of this month that I'm very excited for. So I have to start learning basic Hindi um, just to be able to introduce myself. Um, so that's exciting. But just for everybody out there, you know, as a constant reminder, we're always interested in diversity inclusion in, in any way, shape or form. And before we get started as well, I just want to let everyone know that our community has some very exciting news, right? We're going to be participating in um, a co-located event in KubeCon, right? So that also means that we're going to be having a call for papers for end user talks, right? For 10 minute lightning talks that will be live on May 3rd. Um, you have all the information here on the, um, on the Linux Foundation website, and also on our website as well too at uh, dok.community, right? Where you can, we scroll down, you can see the schedule, right? Uh, remembering that, you know, this is Europe, so we have all the all the times there are CET. We have different talks that are on there um, from folks in China, folks in Europe, United States, uh, Russia. We have quite a few different places represented, all talking about the very topic, a lot of things related to the, the same topic we're going to be talking about today with Prashant about um, running, um, not creating stateful applications, running stateful workloads uh, on, on Kubernetes, all right? That being said, I would like to stop sharing my screen. Normally, I'm not the one sharing. Thank you, Gorka. It's very, very wonderful. You have a technical director who can help you with all these things. That being said, great to have with us here Prashant from DevTron Labs. Prashant, welcome to the Data on, community, uh, Data on Kubernetes Community Meetup. It's a pleasure to have you here. Can you just give us a little bit of background about who you are, how you started working with Kubernetes, what you're doing at DevTron Labs? Sure, sure. So, um, my journey with DevTron Labs uh, started in 2018. Uh, I'm a co-founder of this company and we have an open source project called DevTron, uh, which is essentially an open source app ops platform for Kubernetes. That's what we do. So before starting this DevTron, I was the head of technology in a company which owns the third, sixth most used travel app in the world. Uh, and in 2016, when I was part of that company, I was very excited when I get to know about Kubernetes. Because throughout my life, while working as the CTO or head of technology or even as a developer in different startups as well as large scale enterprises, I always felt this pain uh, wherein we were seeing that application developers, even for smaller changes, they had to go to the DevOps team and DevOps team would be doing all the stuff for them. Now, this is something which always pained me because I believe that this was not the right utilization of time either for the application developers and nor for the DevOps guys, right? So they had a lot more things where they can add a lot more value to the company. And when I looked at Kubernetes and its philosophy wherein they wanted to sort of hand over this thing to the developers so that developers are able to manage their applications by themselves, I was really very excited about it. And in 2016, so it was open sourced in 2015, Kubernetes. And in 2016, our journey with Kubernetes started in that company. So quite early adopters. Uh, but when we, yeah, yeah. Yes, so we were yeah. actually, we were early adopters and our scale was very, very huge, right? So this company, uh, so trains is the one of the most frequently used com uh, mode of travel in India. And this is the company which has the most number of train app users in India, right? So it's like multi-million DAOs we are talking about, right? And constantly yeah. mobile DAOs. Very, very silly question. Typical American question. What's the population of India? How many people are we talking about? Uh, total population of India? Yeah. 
I'm not sure to be very honest. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. It's not a quiz. I can check right here. No, but I just, because like you said, if we're, if we're thinking about the sheer numbers of folks out there, um, we're talking about a very, very substantial number of people. 1.36 billion, according to Google. And, and people are going to roast me because I don't know the number. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, so it's the, so, uh, uh, right. So, Rajesh Razan has also yeah. written it, right? So Thanks, Raj. Yeah. <laughs> so, the train app is the so as I was saying, train is the most one of the most frequently used mode of travel, right? And mm -hmm. it has a huge number, right? So, with that huge number, without taking any downtime, and moving on to Kubernetes was a huge challenge for us. Uh, we looked at a lot of open source products, right? Because since we were starting from scratch, I wanted to get it done right. Mm. Right. So the, the idea that I had that developer be able to own the application management operations, that's what I wanted to set out to do in that particular company. But what I found was uh, something that sort of shook me to the core, right? Because there were a lot of open source tools which are available. But if you look at them, those open source tools were very verticalized in nature. They were not connected with each other, right? So you had to write a lot of glue code in them, right? Uh, and if you look at some of the very prominent open source of that time, the companies which sort of open source them themselves said that they have a lot of other pieces which work with this open source to make actual things work together. But those other pieces are so much hard tied with the infrastructure within the company that they cannot open source them easily. Right. But as the company, that was like a huge setback for me. I couldn't see it happening. I saw that even though we had moved to the Kubernetes, the earlier thing was still happening. As long as you were making very simple code changes, which were to be deployed and there were no interactions with the, or changes on the infrastructure or the, or the requirement layer around developers could do it. Right. So Jenkins job, you just put the uh, branch name or you just put the tag name and you just click the button and it will deploy. But as soon as any complication happened, right. Wherein let's say uh, there is some change in the table name, there are extra, extra properties which are required in the file or anything which required more than just a code change you would again be running to the DevOps team and telling them, oh, we want this to happen. And DevOps team will say, oh, our system is automated, but A, B, C, D has to be done manually, right? And, and that is what propelled me to think, why don't we have something like this? And that's where this whole Dev DevTron journey started, right? And I'm very proud to say that because of this reason, we are open source, because we want to democratize this space. We don't, we want to, we want every company to be able to use this irrespective of their size. They should not be putting multi-million dollar upfront investment so that they can have this app ops and DevOps space to a level, which is actually contributing to the growth of the company rather than restricting it. So this, this was the whole journey for me, which sort of prompted me to start this venture and, and take it to where it is today and try to sort of make it more popular among the like-minded folks. Very, very good and very well explained. And like you said, I think a lot of times the issue of governance, um, the issue of independence, the issue of responsibility sometimes, culturally speaking, uh, mentally, often we think in silos, like I'm a developer, so I focus on this. I'm an ops person, so I focus on this. I'm a security person, so I focus on this. And like you said, trying to make this more horizontal and sharing those kind of, uh, that kind of knowledge is something that maybe some folks aren't ready for yet at an organizational level, but I think overall, much better to have 
like you said, that vision that's being shared by everybody. That being said, let's jump into your presentation. Just a quick reminder to everyone in the audience, feel free to ask questions at any time, put them in the chat, we'll get to them accordingly. And if not, we can always take it to Slack as well. So let me share my screen with you. Okay. Right. So can you see my screen now? Yes. Okay. So, uh, so just like quickly, what is the agenda that we'll be talking about today? Uh, we'll be taking up, we'll, initially I'll be talking about what is AppOps because I saw there was a question about what is AppOps on the Slack channel. So I thought it would be a good time to sort of address this, that how we look at AppOps. Uh, then what I would be talking about is the different ways that we can manage uh, manage a state on Kubernetes. So here I'm not talking about the stateful set only, right? So whenever we think about state, we think about stateful sets. But I believe that uh, there are a lot of steps that you need to cover before you actually say that, oh, the stateful set is something which is going to solve my problem. Right? So I'm going to talk about all those different mechanisms through which you can manage state on Kubernetes in a Kubernetes native way, as well as in the Kubernetes native way, as well as including the stateful sets, right? So that's what I'm going to do. Then I'm going to briefly touch upon what is the app, how can you do an app ops for stateful applications? Again, uh, in this particular uh, in this particular topic, I'm going to give you more broader guidelines. We can do a detailed session later on whenever it is required, wherein I can go into depth of how operators can be built and how actually you can build a complete system which is app ops enabled for stateful sets. But in this case, I'm just going to give the guidelines of how how do we envision it and how do we sort of uh, incorporate within the DevTron product that we have built. So, so to start off, uh, I think to understand DevOps, it's important for us to understand, uh, sorry, to understand AppOps, it's important for us to understand the historical perspective of DevOps. For most of the guys uh, who would be on this call, I believe that uh, when they started working, DevOps was already a well-established uh, principle, a well-established well way of working. But for people like me, who started off way back in 2004, DevOps at that point of time was a phenomenon which was kind of non-existent, right? Uh, uh, in fact, my first job uh, was for a company which is a very, very big multinational company in the US. Uh, I was working for that company in an offshore development center. And when I joined that company, uh, they were for quite a few years, they were already in the process of migrating their Oracle ERP system from 9i to 10g, right? So it was 2004. I, I moved out of that company in 2006 into, uh, uh, to do my MBA. And even in 2006, that product was still not live, even though technically the development was completed in 2004 itself, right? So, so you could see that it, was, it took them like more than one and a half years and still they couldn't come out with that piece. That was the state which we had kind of a 2004, five, six kind of era, right? And that's where this DevOps principle was actually proposed, proposed by the people. And again, if you look at that, you would realize that because of this precise reason, there was too much emphasis in the DevOps system was given to the culture, people, and process, right? Because you didn't have tools which were mature. Those tools were non-existent at that point of time. Uh, and companies would not want for these, the maturity of the tools to happen to actually have a stable deployment, right? At a fast pace, at a high velocity. So what they did was they said that culture, people, and process is at the center of this DevOps movement, which is happening. And tools is something that this team will build over time and tools should not be a reason why they can't move forward, right? But I believe that that was a reality of that time. Now fast forward it today. 
you have all the capability to build all kind of tools. You have those uniform APIs which are available, right? So tools, I believe, now should be the one who should be driving the second phase of of, of improvement on the DevOps side, and this is what we call AppOps also, right? So. Uh, to tell you further about AppOps, let me first tell you what AppOps is not, right? So infrastructure management is not AppOps. Uh, what I mean by infrastructure management, if we are talking about Kubernetes specifically, if you are doing things on the cluster, you are upgrading the OS version or you are upgrading KTS version or you are making certain changes in the node for a better management, adding nodes, removing nodes, adding affinity to the nodes, right? creating policies for the cluster, what kind of things can be deployed on the cluster, what kind of things cannot be deployed on the cluster, right? Uh, or you are defining cluster security, which ports can open, uh, whether you can run an application as a node port, you cannot run an application from a particular namespace as a node port, uh, can you create a load balancer as a service or not? So all these kind of policies which can uh, impact, let's say the cost of, the, of running the cluster or the security of the cluster, uh, all of these are also part of the infrastructure management. What I also add to the infrastructure management are the third-party softwares. What I mean by them are, for example, if, if you have a Kafka, if you have a MySQL, or if you have a Postgres or a MongoDB for that matter, right? So softwares which are not being developed by your company, but they are still being used by your application team, but they are not the primary owner of the code of those, of those softwares. So these softwares are again, primarily managed by the DevOps, uh, DevOps team or the infrastructure management team, as you may call it. So these are the pieces which management of these things, upgrade of these things, they are not part of the app ops as we envision it, right? So, so if now I have to define app ops, I'll say that app ops uh, from a thousand feet view is a platform. What it does is it does two things primarily. One, it allows DevOps to create the guardrails, the policies uh, be using which the developers can be uh, can act within the framework, right? So it is an effective way to delegate to the developers. And for the developers, it is uh, it is a system which abstracts out the information in such a way that the developers can handle the applications, manage applications by themselves without involving DevOps for every small thing, right? So so that's how. The, dev, the app ops thing looks from a thousand feet view. Uh, if, you, if you have any questions at this point of time, please let me know. Uh, otherwise I'll move forward to how do we break, it, break down the app ops into multiple components? What are the different components which actually make part of the app ops? Yeah, I guess, I guess you're seeing it from the perspective of the guardrails factor. You know, what are the risks that companies are running if they don't have those guardrails in place? Yes, yes. So actually we have seen huge, huge impact on companies if those guardrails are not in place, right? So uh, so though we are saying that developers should be the one who should be managing the applications, uh, but understand this, that applications can potentially create a huge impact on the cluster, right? Uh, you are running application uh, as a root and that application is exposed externally, right? Uh, this thing can actually create a huge problem wherein uh, a hacker can take access of it. They may be running their own loads, right? So in fact, there was a case wherein in Tesla, they found out that uh, Tesla was Tesla cluster was being used for, uh, for mining Bitcoins, right? So all of this happens because what you have done is you have not provided the guardrails or the policies to safeguard the system 
for the developers. Developers don't know Kubernetes as such, right? So they have too many things to learn about on the technology front. Otherwise, uh, they are not gonna go deep in the in just on the infrastructure side, which itself requires months and years of training and learning, right? So that is why these policies. Uh, how much RAM can you sort of? Uh, how much RAM and CPU can an application consume? If let's say you have not defined the RAM and CPU for an application, that application, if sort of runs away with the RAM and CPU, can actually destabilize a lot of other applications, which were actually behaving correctly, right? Even they can be destabilized. They can be starved for the resources, right? So these kind of issues and challenges can only be taken care of if you have the right guardrails. Mm -hmm. Another example of guardrails might be wherein you are saying that there is a junior developer which has come in, and you are saying that you can deploy to let's say production environment. Now, the person may deploy code from QA to production environment if he or she is not aware of it. Now, guardrail will ensure that only a code which or a container which has been created from the master or the main branch gets deployed to production, right? So these are the kind of guardrails which ensure that your system at all point of times is compliant and is not compromised. Good, excellent. Thank you. We've got a question here from Walid. Um, we have many tools. Our problem is culture, mostly focus and fighting over on tools and how to use them. Isn't that platform as a service equals app ops? Uh, so yes. Uh, so I look at it from a reverse way, wherein I say if you are doing an app ops, then it has to be done in a platform as a service way. Now that platform as a service way doesn't have to be done necessarily by an external team. It can be done by the DevOps team also. Uh, so AppOps has to be done via, via platform as a service fee. That is, I completely agree. Uh, about the tools, things where you say that the, that the team is fighting, and that is where we are taking a radically different view, right? Uh, what we are doing as Devtron is, we are not taking a lot of opinions about how things should be done as long as they are the best practices, right? So for example, you are doing GitOps, right? Some company may be using Flux CD for GitOps. Another company may be using Argo CD for GitOps. We as Devtron don't make an open-ended view whether Argo CD is better or Flux CD is better for GitOps. You want to use Argo CD for GitOps, you can connect with Devtron and it will sort of delegate that GitOps flow to Argo CD and will work very, very closely with Argo CD to sort of bringing those parameters which are missing in Argo CD. Similarly, if you're using Flux CD, Devtron can work very, very closely with Flux CD and just providing those parameters which are missing in Flux CD, right? So what we are trying to do is to provide you a platform which allows you to onboard onto the best practices very soon. The opinions that we carry are, are not about which tools should, you should be using, but more about how they should be used, uh, how they should be interacting with each other so that they don't impede you, but support you. So, so that does that answer your question or do you have- Are we good Waleed? Yeah, well, yeah, because Waleed also made another comment about how self-service and delegating. Okay, no, anyway, he seems to be okay. Thank you Waleed, shukran. Um, let's keep moving. Sure. So uh, if I have to break down the app ops that we were talking about, I look at it as the three major components to it, right? So one is the stability of the application. So whatever is required to make applications stable. There are a host of things which needs to be done, which are mentioned on this chart, but I'll not get into the detail. So that's one aspect is the stability. Another aspect is the cost. And third aspect is the security. So these are the three things about which 
an application owner is concerned while running his application on infrastructure right so the apops system should allow application developer to fine tune these three parameters in a way so that he he doesn't have to learn a lot about infrastructure but still is able to do it right so so that's that's the those are the three components of the apops the way we look at them now what is it that enables a company to have devops right apops so if let's say you are building an apops apops within your company what are the major components or what are the main criteria they it has to meet for it to actually be an apops platform and not just a mishmash of multiple tools right so as i talked about there are there are, there are three things which are important and these five uh, five things have been sort of uh, taken out of them so one thing is that the developer should be able to do things by themselves what it means is that data which is being collected from all different places should be brought together now with kubernetes again the complexity has even more increased right so earlier there was cloud provider and then there were applications now there is a cloud provider then there is kubernetes and then there is application the data is spread all over the place moreover now we are working more with microservices which are working with maybe kafka rds and too many other microservices also right so the data is now humongous and is at disparate places so it's very very important that we are collecting data from different places together at a centralized place so that developers can look at that data and make sense out of it now is it easy for them to make sense out of it the answer is no and that is why you need to provide the right level of information abstraction you can't expect them to learn uh, cloud providers right how aws works how azure works how google works you can't expect them to know intricate details of the kubernetes either only thing that they would know more about is their application and that is why it is important to present information to them in the right abstraction right and at the same point of time this information which you are presenting should also be intuitive for them uh, the case in point is kubernetes itself right so kubernetes is very very versatile it's it's a great piece of software but the learning curve for kubernetes is way too high because it doesn't have any intuitive ui to guide you to the right direction it has huge knowledge base great knowledge base but still people are struggling and if if you look at it more than 30% of the companies who have adopted kubernetes say that they are still struggling with the complexity of kubernetes and and believe me i think that's an understatement uh, most of the time they would have talked to people who are good at kubernetes and then they said 30% of them said that oh kubernetes is complex right so that intuitive ui which doesn't which can sort of guide person in the right direction so that he doesn't have to learn or he doesn't have to get a certification to be able to use the system that is the third requirement for the developers to be able to use the system by themselves right and then guardrail provisioning is something that i have already talked about because devops team should be able to control and developer should not be doing whatever they want to do uh, within the system it's not that they have malicious intentions but it's simply that as developers we we all have our own slas to meet right and because of that we may take certain calls which may not be best for the company uh, but may work in the short term right and then collaboration is the third aspect which is of course critical when i talk about collaboration i'm not just talking about the collaboration between the developers and the and the devops team i'm even talking about collaboration between multiple development teams across right so with the microservices again multiple applications are working together uh, a failure at one end may result in failure in some other application right uh, and then it becomes very very difficult to debug as to where this problem originated 
and that is why collaboration wherein different people can sort of effectively work together without having to share a screen without having to take their laptop and sit next to each other of course uh, that has become very very difficult with the with this covid scenario but earlier it was a normal practice right wherein developers and devops would be would move into a war room take their laptops together or they would be sharing screens or they would be saying oh i am looking at this you look at that and try to sort of get to the root cause of the problem right uh, that collaboration is is too much offline right so that collaboration has to be part of the software itself wherein uh, you should be work together on certain pieces of software uh, while fixing the issues or debugging the issues so that's that's the third aspect the collaboration which is the core of the apps platform right which makes apps possible so uh, with this i'll quickly uh, go through like how devtron does it uh so devtron essentially uh, what i just talked about earlier devtron does the same thing it gets data from a lot of different places it presents to you in an intuitive fashion in a right level of abstraction so that you can make sense out of the data easily and decide what is the next action which is to be taken of course uh, it allows you to complete the cycle also by uh, taking those corrective actions using devtron itself right so once you have identified the issues or you have figured out a point of improvement you can directly go to the system and take those actions by yourself directly right so so that's these are these are some of the things that devtron does and here are some of the some of the screens of the devtron system now let me get to the main aspect of the presentation today so as i was saying so what we are going to talk mainly about are the different patterns which you can use to manage the state in kubernetes as i said earlier i am not necessarily talking about the stateful application in this case i am talking about cloud native ways of managing state in kubernetes right uh, i have uh, i have not um, I, i have not included managing state externally in let's say mysql or mongodb or elasticsearch these kind of uh, this kind of state management systems uh but only those things which only those ways of managing state which are provided by kubernetes itself right so so first and foremost is to use a single replica deployment with pvc uh i i guess most of you might be wondering why why i'm even mentioning it as this is something which you should be avoiding at any cost right because because of the inherent limitation that it has uh you can only run one replica at max right so if you if you are if you try to run more than one replica in this case when you are using a deployment with a pvc uh the other replica the other pod will never come up because it will keep on waiting for the same pv uh which has already been attached to the first pod right uh but interestingly uh when kubernetes came in and hand chart sort of started coming up this was the most often used method even by the stateful application for example go cd uh, which is another way to do ci and cd compared to jenkins uh, uh, which is sort of created by thoughtworks it's an open source system they were using deployment even though they were managing a state they used to store xml uh, of all the actions that they had taken um, in their hard disk but they were using deployment and not a stateful set similarly the initial hand charts of mysql they were using deployments and not stateful set uh, but as i said this is something which should be avoided because there is only one replica which is running that means whenever you are doing an upgrade there is definitely going to be a downtime right uh, 
as well as if let's say because of some reason there is an eviction which has happened of port port again you, there will be a downtime because there is only one instance which is running it can also create problem in case of a multi az uh, system right uh, the reason being that if let's say you are in a multi az system and kubernetes let's say decides to rebalance the load uh, so initially let's say you were uh, this system was created in zone 1 but now after rebalancing this system is supposed to be moved to zone 2 uh the pv that has been created cannot be moved moved to zone 2 so the cloud providers don't support that right so because of which again in the multi iz system it may again start creating a problem for you right so this from my perspective is a system which i have included just for the historical sake but this is something that should never ever be done right uh i don't believe that a stateful set is complex Uh, so that if you have to run only one replica you should be running running deployment even if you have to run only one replica please use a stateful set uh, unless your requirement is being met by some of the patterns that i'm going to talk about now uh please feel free to stop me at any point of time if you believe if you want to know more about it how it is to be done i have i've put a small snippet on the site to say like how it is done i've only included those most critical things to make it work but if you would want to know more about it i'll be more than happy to answer them right so right so uh, now coming to the deployment with a shared drive so in this case what we are doing is in all of the pods so deployment has pods but in all of the pods you are you are mounting a mounting a drive which is a shared drive and an fs kind of a drive in case of aws it would be an efs drive right uh, so that is what you are mounting uh, mounting in this particular case right uh so this is typically slow because uh, uh because it's a network drive right network file system uh, also there is a possibility of data corruption in case there are concurrent writes which are happening on the system right so where uh, so your question might be like where it can be used and where it cannot be used so the way i look at it is uh, we have seen few systems where it has worked beautifully and i think that was the right way to use it uh for example there was a there was a code coding testing system so there is a proctoring system wherein uh, there is a company which allows you to conduct coding tests for other people right now when people were actually coding at uh, coding on on their system what they were doing was whatever was being written was being automatically saved into the drive now this drive was a shared drive so that if because of any reason any point of time that pod got evicted whatever the user has written whatever the the test taker had written was saved in the drive and whenever uh, whenever that pod was getting recreated it would use the same drive and therefore whatever was done by the by the user was immediately available to the user right uh, in this case there were no concurrent writes which were happening uh, could it have been done with a stateful set the answer is yes uh it could have been done with a stateful set also uh but in this case for them uh it was easier to do it with a with a network drive uh the reason being they didn't have they didn't have the problem of fragmentation of drive right because if there are 1000 test takers now you suddenly need 1000 1000 pvs for those 1000 stateful sets but in this case uh the the drive is still one so the fragmentation of the drive was not happening uh that was one of the things uh which because of which they decided to use this rather than a uh, rather than a stateful set all right uh so this was one of the cases where we have uh, we have seen it working uh, perfectly well another thing was our train positioning system wherein 
in in the company where i was working previously uh, we had a we had a huge spark cluster which was uh, consuming data from spark uh, and it was uh, sorry which was consuming data from kafka and it was trying to figure out what is the exact location of the train right now right and it would use a lot of previous data also to figure out to sort of cull out those gps parameters which it thought were let's say uh, which arrived late or which were wrong right so in this case again what we were doing was because spark is a very very fast system it needs very very low latency so what we were doing was we were again using a uh, whatever data we were calculate we were of course storing from memory itself for just storing data drive we were not reading it we were only reading it if because of some reason the pod got evicted right so when the pod would first come up only at that point of time it would read otherwise it will just keep on writing again in this case there is a lot of fragmentation a lot of trains their timings and a lot of issues and because of that because of that we decided to move ahead with the with the network drive rather than a stateful set uh another system where you would think that it would work but actually it would not work is a ci system right uh, the continuous integration system so we at devtron also have its own inbuilt ci system which is written on top of argo workflow now in the case of ci system you may feel that we can use a we can use a network drive to sort of use the cache of the container right so the the container engine the cache that it creates i can use a network drive to store that cache and reuse that cache but the biggest problem over there is multiple builds can run parallelly because of that there may be a lot of concurrent access to these drives and this may result this may result in the data corruption right uh, some of some of the builds may be using older let's say mnn files some of the builds may be using newer mnn files they might be thrashing uh, thrashing the same disk and they might they may result in a data corruption so in this case the better and the what we used was uh, the strategy wherein we used a centralized cache so uh, once everything was done we would just sort of uh, zip it into a into a file and move it to s3 or another object store and whenever a new ci is required we will pull it from that store and expand it and use it as a cache so uh, in this case that worked for us beautifully this disk would have not worked at all Uh, does anyone have any question related yeah, yeah, to the yeah we got, we got yeah we, yeah we got another comment from from Walid he says i have an integral an integral uh, sorry excuse me i have an internal registry as a deployment with uh rwx uh volume and fs and not sure where the issue is with the deployment with three replicas uh where is the issue i'm Yeah, he says he's not sure where the issue is with the deployment with three replicas. Let me see if I Yeah, if you just open the chat, it should be right there. Um he says I do not see any issue with shared uh drive use case. So uh so my question to you Walid would be uh this internal registry that you have uh what is the read write concurrency for that? Right? So Are, are they are different replicas writing to different directories? Are they writing to the same directory? What is the TPS at which they are doing it? Right. So, so these are the questions uh, based on which we figure out whether network drive is the right choice or not. Right. So, in our case also, as I was saying, uh, 
in the in the coding test system as well as for the train positioning system in both the cases network drive worked beautifully right so another advantage of network drive is that everything is available to you as a disk and that's why any command that you can run on disk you can run on the system and debug issues right so uh, so i'm not saying that the network drive doesn't work uh, in this particular case that you are discussing uh, Okay, I think he has put in another comment wherein he's saying that I don't see same directory. I know object storage is the best, but on prem sometimes you can get it. Right. So right. So in this particular case, again, as you are saying, latency is not an issue for you. So in that case, it again makes sense, right? So uh, deployment with network drive, I believe, makes sense in certain use cases. It's not a never no no kind of a thing. Uh, which i was saying for a deployment with a single replica set wherein i was saying that you should never be doing it if you have to do it rather create a single stateful set uh, stateful set with single replica rather than using a deployment right but with network drive as you have mentioned in your case it might make perfect sense to use a network drive uh, because of the simplicity of the system and if you are okay with the kind of latency that it is introducing it makes perfect sense to use it rather than going for any complex uh, complex design right so in fact uh, towards the end of it uh, towards the end of the presentation i have also talked about the occam's razor right so same thing can be achieved via different solutions right so uh, the, you most of the time you will find the case wherein uh, same problem can be solved with let's say three four different solutions so which one you should choose you should choose the one which is simplest to maintain right so right so it's all trade offs right so mm. uh, the idea for me is only to provide you with the list of these trade offs uh so that uh, whenever you are doing it you are you are cognizant of those trade offs and take the call accordingly so uh, again i think registry it makes perfect sense for the nfs if the concurrency requirement is low the latency requirement is not way too high uh it makes perfect sense uh do we have any other question or should i no keep going keep going you're good so right now this is something which uh, i think uh, people in the devops side might have thought of but uh, but at least from the application development side people most of the time don't even think of it right so uh, and and in fact over here i am cheating in a way because i am still externalizing my state right uh, but as i said i never said that i'll only be talking about stateful set i i am talking about managing state on kubernetes in a cloud native way so that's what we are doing and config map secret is a perfectly cloud native way of doing it uh, and uh, there are a lot of tools which are available today which use config map and secrets to store data some are good practices some i believe are not good practices and you can see see them for the same set of tools also right uh, so just to give an example uh, argo cd uh, stores your data stores the data the cluster the uh, the cluster configuration that you provide to the argo cd it is stored in secret right i think it's one of the one of the best ways to store the sensitive data because uh, kubernetes already provides a lot of a uh, lot of mechanism to safeguard secrets right so so this gives you the benefit of using uh, something which kubernetes already provides so it takes away the maintenance hassle from your your head as well as uh, this is already accepted as a best practice uh, for storing sensitive data where i think that they are not doing a great job of using uh, config map a secret to store data is uh, 
even for example for uh, they store the configuration uh, the configuration of the repositories right the the helm repositories or the git repositories now if, if you go and look at the argo cdcm you would see a huge list of these configurations i think that's that's a pretty bad choice the reason being that inside config map and secret everything is a string it's not structured data right and because of that what happens is uh, whatever whatever validations you are putting you are putting it within the code so i read a config map i make certain changes and i push it now uh, because the revision has already been updated uh, api server may fail it i may get it back but now it becomes much more difficult for me to figure out what exactly it changed because uh, this data is a semi structured data right and it would require me to do a lot of string manipulations to figure out actually where changed what changed right so a lot of offloading of that algorithm of that code on that on the application developer side so that's where i believe it's not a right choice to use config map or secret if you are if you are sm storing small amount of data right as i said some sensitive data or let's say even if you are doing if you are storing some data to let's say coordinate between multiple replica sets so they may be listening to the same config map and a change by one of the one of the replicas may trigger action on other replicas right so those kind of things uh, you can use config map and secret for in fact helm again uses secrets to store the complete manifest right so that it allows it to be a very lightweight client now uh, earlier it had teller which was creating lot of security issues uh, for the folks managing uh, operating clusters uh, but now it had moved to a very light model and in this case what it is doing is all the manifests which have been generated it is sort of zipping it and then encoding it and then putting it into the uh, into the secret right again i believe a great use case of using config map and secret and as i was saying so uh, the example that i gave of argo city wherein i see that you have uh, non normalized data and you have huge many very very many rows of that that non normalized data that's where i think now you have started abusing config map and secret uh, because that one sing, single config map and secret will become huge and then again there is a there is a limitation on the etcd side of the maximum maximum size of the data that you can store so you will again run into that limitation also over time uh, so this this might be fine for argo cd because uh, because they want to have least depend very limited dependence on other things so that people can easily install it and get started right uh, but it creates i believe it creates huge problem uh, at multiple ends uh, and this should only be used when you have very small data it can be dynamic which is perfectly fine right so uh, you can you can change data in config map and other replica sets can uh, read that data and for the manipulated that's perfectly fine having a dynamic data in config map or secret is perfectly fine what is not fine is when you are doing it for a humongous amount of data non structured data multiple rows uh, that's where i think uh, config map and secret should be avoided completely uh extension of this is using crd right so custom resource definition is something which is uh, which is used quite often in kubernetes but i believe that this is primarily used by people again who are who are building stuff for kubernetes uh, it's 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 not being used as much by people who are application developers uh, again i'm not recommending that you should be doing it a lot uh, the reason being that the more you do it the more you are putting stress on the api server and the etcd which is backing it 
right so uh, so if if you sort of throttle it uh, your whole cluster uh, may become unresponsive right of course uh, kubernetes can survive with api server not being available for some time uh, but understand this thing that uh, if some pod is evicted it will not be rescheduled right it will not be restarted so those kind of problems you will start seeing in your cluster so i believe that this this system can be used only if uh, you are dealing with a medium scale data and primarily when you are doing uh, when you are kind of writing a state machine right uh, again one of the best example for this is the argo workflow oh and really quickly just uh, another comment regarding etcd so etcd storage limit the default storage size limit is 2 gigabytes configurable with Quota backend bytes flag supports up to eight gigabytes. Then ETCD is designed to handle small key value pairs typical for metadata. Larger requests will work, but may increase the latency of other requests. By default, right. the maximum size of any request is 1.5 uh, MIV. Here we go. This limit is configurable through max request bytes flag for ETC ETCD server. I know this because I used it to break a cluster for David uh, Rocco's Cluster D episode two. <laughs> right, so, Waleed, you've done your homework. Very, very good. It's true. It's very true. In fact, uh, uh, recently I was talking to one of the companies and they were saying that uh, they wanted to use a cluster orchestration. Uh, not cluster. They wanted to do a microservices orchestration, right? And uh, the unique way about uh, the way they wanted to do microservices orchestration was they wanted to use Argo workflow. right so let's say a request came in argo workflow would decide which all microservices the request should be sent to right and this is what they wanted to do and i told them boss you shouldn't be doing this because etcd server and api server are not built to handle this kind of scale they are not right so uh, so my point is that you you can use it but you have to use it with uh, with concern right so you can't you can't just be uh, non worried about it but having said that this is this i believe is again something that you can definitely leverage at times right so as i was saying so argo workflow is one such example uh, you you have other systems like uh, like airflow and others which are using actual dbs uh, or celery which are using actual dbs and queues to actually uh, orchestrate the state machine uh but if you look at the argo workflow what it is doing is it has created a crd which acts as a state machine so whenever it makes certain changes and it submits it to the it to the api server because it has an informer cache which is also listening to all the changes api server just sends back right and again based on the state of that particular crd it decides what next action it has to take right so again an excellent example where you can use crds to actually hold the state most of the time it makes sense if you are mutating the state and not just holding it right so uh, in the same sense one of the one of the one of the wrong use cases i believe is in the case of argo cd right so argo cd has an application object which stores all the data uh, related to the actions which has been taken on git repository right so whether it was able to pull data from the git or not whether it was able to generate templates or not whether it was able to apply those templates as well as what is the live state of those objects right uh, and it stores all of the data into the application object 
Now, why I believe that's a bad choice is because Argo CD is not actually running a state machine, right? It is using it actually as a just as a data store. Now, the repercussions of this is uh, that you can't store infinite history of the application object. So there is a limitation on how much how much history you can store and it of course increases the size of the data it may increases the size of the application object it becomes difficult to understand what is written in the application object because of so many history elements right so you you keep on having those uh, more and more application objects right bigger size application objects so that is why i believe that uh, argo cd in this case i believe their primary criteria was to get started easily right so you just take it and you start it uh, redis is the only external piece of software which they are using right of course they they also run one instance of dex uh, but i believe uh, but dex is something which is more all, which is also like an embeddable library uh, which if you want to use uh, so i don't consider dex in the same category uh, but redis is the only system that they use they are they are not using any mysql systems or any other systems right and that is why they decided to use application object instead of them uh, but as i said i believe that it's it's taking it to the extreme because you are not using it as a state uh, you are not mutating things you are just using it as a data store uh, to get data for later on right and again because of this uh, argo cd is not able to provide a lot of uh, analytical data which you might require for deployment right so they say that okay because everything in get you can go ahead and check from there uh, but they have very uh, they have limitation in the amount of data that they can provide for the history and how far back in the history they can go so so this is this is what i believe uh, how you can use crd again this is something which for which you need a good experience of kubernetes i have put certain links uh, at the bottom uh, earlier my thought was to go through them but i but i think that i am already sort of exceeding the time limit so uh, but they are in the bottom you can go through them this will, this will give you some idea of how things are uh, and you can always ask me questions on the on the slack channel also later on if you want definitely so uh now moving on to the to the big stateful set right so so a stateful set uh has its own use case i agree uh for things like mongodb for things like postgres for things like kafka it makes a lot of sense to use a stateful set uh but i believe that if you are if you are writing a stateful set as an application you should seriously and very seriously question it what is the use case because of which you need a local data store right there are use cases i am not saying that there are no use cases but you have to be very very cognizant of what those use cases are because if you are going to create another mongodb or another postgres or another kafka uh uh as an application i would seriously suggest not do it right because uh, a stateful set in a way uh and and it has been said quite loud and clear that a stateful set on kubernetes is still far from what it should be i'm not saying that you cannot use it in production uh but it is not able to handle all the use cases which are required for a stateful set and uh that is why we are seeing that uh, there are a lot of operators which are coming uh, the kubernetes operators which are coming in for managing stateful sets right so you have kubernetes operator for elasticsearch you have kubernetes operator for 
MongoDB, you have Kubernetes operator for Kafka. Why? Because it's it's not trivial to upgrade the version of the application uh, for these kind of third-party softwares. Uh, nor is it easy to change the size, right? So let's say you initially you had given 100 GB of space for them, and uh, suddenly you are hitting the limit. And rather than truncating the data, you may want to increase the size of PVC. Uh, it's not trivial. With the stateful set, it's not trivial. Uh, there is an there is an open issue with them uh, for quite a long time, uh, wherein they said that let's let's simplify it, right? Uh, but they have but it's still not has been worked on. Uh, so stateful set, that's why I'm saying like a stateful set is something that I say that you have to really think about, use it for cases uh, which are comparatively simpler, right? For example, some of the use cases that I mentioned, uh, in certain cases, you may want to use a disk-based caching, right? Uh, so in fact, one of, the, uh, one of the softwares that we are building, open source softwares that we are building for debugging, uh, what it does, it, it it gets data from all the clusters related to all the events which have happened as well as all the object mutations which are happening. Now, uh, if let's say you have 50, 100 clusters, this data become huge. Uh, by default, the informer cache, which is provided by Kubernetes, it stores data in memory. And it, in this particular case, it becomes infeasible to store all of that data into memory, right? So what we have done in that case is we have, uh, we have sort of uh, overridden the code using some unsafe operations in Colang, uh, so that instead of using in-memory cache, it's using uh, on-disk cache using Badger as the as the underlying embedded database. Okay. So uh, in this case, we had to do it because uh, uh, we could think of pushing it into DB directly, uh, but usually the kind of throughputs, especially for the events we were seeing. Uh, uh, Momentary latency was creating a lot of uh, a lot of flow over onto the memory, right? So it was creating a lot of memory pressure for the application, which the application was not able to sustain, and that is why we had to we were forced to use the on disk uh, on disk system for caching. So that's one of the cases which you may have wherein you are using a stateful set. Another another very good use case of stateful set is using Kafka consumers, right? So you are processing data on a Kafka consumer, and you might be you might want to store intermediate data for later usage uh, when you would be processing next batch, right? So, again, one of the uh, one of the examples for this is uh, again in my previous company where we were doing uh, caching for the airline uh, airfares, right? So, what we were doing was uh, let's say if you if you did a search on our system and you are logged in into our system so that we can identify you. Uh, then what we would do is we would note it down like at what price point you saw at, at what price did you see the ticket right uh, for that particular uh, uh, origin destination pair and uh, for what date range and we will constantly keep on monitoring all the price points that we are getting and whenever we see that there is a good drop from the price point that you had seen we would send you and you have not booked the ticket yet booked the ticket with us we'll send you a uh, a notification that there is a there is an X amount of drop in the airfare, and once we have sent you a notification, we would not bombard you again and again and again, right? So let's say price fell fell down by 500, and price fell down by another 200 in let's say next one hour, we would still not be sending you mail, right, or notification. So in this case, what we needed was there was a very high throughput processing which was happening on the prices, and it was a complex process which happens because uh, what is the origin, what is the destination, what is the date how many passengers, 
uh, what kind of flight it's an economy it's a premium ticket site so there are too many permutation combinations which go uh, with an air travel and because of that there were complex competitions which were happening now in this case uh, we were using a local data store uh, to store the computed price computed uh, data that we had and use it to compare against the new data that we were getting so in this case again uh, we didn't have much of a problem with the stateful set because uh, even if let's say uh, we had to upgrade or something we could do it easily without any problem and even if there was a downtime uh, it's okay because at max what would happen is we will fail to notify you of a price drop which is uh, which is not a huge crime right so we could we could live with that level of uh, uh, in uh, non availability of data or non availability of the state of the replicas so in this case again it made made lot of lot of sense for us to use the stateful set uh where we should not be using a stateful sets if you can solve cases with any of the previous instances or by externalizing the state to let's say mysql or mongodb or whatever stateful store you want to use i would seriously seriously suggest that you should not be using a stateful set it's 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 kind of a hydra which takes on its own life form over time right so uh just to give an example uh, these are some of the these are some of the challenges right which which elastic search operator t uh, tidb operator mongodb operators are trying to solve wherein they are saying that even when let's say you are trying to downscale a node how easy it is it is not that easy because actually the node that you are downscaling may result in a data loss what what if let's say the shards were uh, in case of elastic search what let's say if the because of some node outage already the shards were in yellow and you brought down another shard another node which had only that shard what would happen in that case right so so downscaling of nodes even is not trivial similarly pvc site uh, pvc as i was saying earlier increasing the size of pvc is not again a simple matter uh, because you can't change the pvc size by updating the spec of stateful set it's not supported as i was saying there is an issue open for it but it's, uh, but there are a lot there is a lot of debate going around it nothing has been done on done on it till now right even the backup and restoration of data is not that trivial in most of these cases uh, because you have multiple shards dynamic data which is working together so how do you restore that data which you had backed up it's not trivial again uh, i i again i would not be getting into too much detail of it as i said earlier i i just wanted to touch on a higher lines uh if we want to look at how do we create an operator to manage a stateful set that's something that we can look at later wherein it would be more technical with a complete hands on stuff uh but for this i think uh this is something that i wanted to highlight like what kind of problems do you get into while managing a stateful set and because of which you should be avoiding stateful set as much as possible so <clears throat> so this finally is kind of a gist of what we have seen till now as i was saying this is please use occam's razor if you can if you can solve something if you can solve the same problem with a simpler solution please use it uh, a stateful set it's it looks simpler it looks easier to use a stateful set but actually uh, managing a stateful set is way too complex compared to managing a simple uh, deployment kind of stuff if if you have any questions on this or any comments on this i'll be more than happy to take them mm -hmm. i think we're i think we're good for right now so yeah just keep going perfect so
so uh, with this i think uh, the only point that is left for me is again um, at a thousand peak level to tell you like what app ops for stateful applications would actually mean right so if 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 you are doing an app if you are building actually stateful applications right and not just using uh, third party softwares what i would want us to be doing is to create one pattern which would be used across all stateful applications right so those stateful applications would be exposing a consistent set of apis uh, with which the operator can can interact and make and request them to do certain actions uh, for example if you are doing if you are doing a scaling in right uh, if you are doing a scaling in you will, you may want a particular node to be taken out if you are going to take take out a particular node you should have a consistent set of api which if you call for that particular node it should work on migrating it its data the data that it has to other nodes so that it can be safely shut down right so what is important for you is to create that uniform layer of apis and a uniform pattern which your operator can interact with without requiring any customization right uh this will make your life very very easy for managing a stateful application right so so again uh, these are certain things that you would have to do if you want to run a stateful application via app ops platform uh there would be a lot of there would be tons of parameters that you have to monitor including disk io uh, uh the size of the disk which is being utilized apart from the network traffic and ram and cpu uh, and the number of uh, number of replica uh, number of replicas which are available right uh, uh, then you have to then you have to write a, as i was saying then you have to write a generic operator which would be taking care of these host of things uh, what's the deployment strategy if you have to do a scale in a scale out how do you do it uh, multi az tolerance as i was saying stateful sets by default are not multi az compliant uh, so how how do you ensure that uh, this non multi az compliance doesn't result in non availability of uh, of the application similarly cross region replication how do you support it right so the data moves is replicated across regions so that the stateful sets are able to perform properly whether it's active active or active passive mode how do you do that uh, backup restore is of course there then security cost visibility how how can you figure out the cost of running the stateful set how do you tune it again tuning may require right sizing it changing the size of it and it may uh again go back to the generic operator in fact if you look at it security cost visibility iso identification and debugging all of these three will loop back into the generic operator for deployment because once you have identified it and you have to take action 99% case of the time in case of stateful sets you would have to loop it back via the operator to do it in such a way that the services are not disrupted I think with this I'll conclude it. So oh, oh uh, but we do we do have one quick question um, from uh, Sarjit saying for a classic stateful web app, let's say an online store, uh, what would be the best way to deploy it given that today it's a monolith? Uh, okay, so uh, when you are saying it's a stateful web app, uh, are we saying that the state is stored on um, on the disk itself for that particular application? or uh it's still like it's it's actually stateless in the sense that the the state is actually uh outside and let's say stored in a mysql database or a postgres database so stored on uh, stored on the database yeah redis caching so if you are storing it on a database and which is not an embedded database and you are using a redis cache 
then it's actually not a stateful web application right so it's 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 a it's a stateless application so we call an application stateful only if it is storing the state by itself right and that is why i said that when i talked about storing state in config map and crd i said that i am actually cheating right so because uh, because that application is actually not stateful i have offloaded that state to an external entity which is an api server in that case right uh, so uh, similarly in your case the way i look at it this is not a stateful set and i would uh, this and this should not be done via stateful set for sure right uh, it it should be done via deployment uh, what are the strategies to deploy a monolith usually in case of monolith uh, what i see is that the blast radius is huge uh because uh, a monolith uh, in a monolith multiple developers would have contributed to it right and because of that the the quantum of change which is going out with the monolith is huge and whenever the blast radius for you is huge uh in terms of the the changes which has happened in the application you need to reduce the blast radius in terms of the exposure that is being given to the number of users who are using it right and how can you do that uh you can usually do that by using things like canary deployment which is not of course not uh <clears throat> provided by default by kubernetes uh but there are plethora of ways to do uh canary deployment so what canary deployment will allow you to do is to say let's say uh you can reduce the blast radius to 5% of the users uh and monitor it so that you know whether there is an issue with the there is an issue with the deployment or not if it is not then i would suggest you to switch to the blue green immediately right so usually what happens is people will say okay 5% then 10% then 15% i i don't think that's the right way to look at it once you have a statistically significant data to say that your application is working correctly then you should immediately switch to blue green what blue green the advantage that blue green gives you is that in case of any issue you can immediately switch back to the previous version right so so that's the advantage of blue green of course the requirement of blue green is that your both of the versions and in fact that's the requirement for canary also that your both of the versions should be able to run concurrently right so that's one requirement uh but having said that uh in your case this web application i'll not call it stateful uh it's a stateless application because state is being maintained outside on database and on redis uh so uh so you can use a deployment object to deploy the application and as i was saying i would suggest that you use canary mix of canary and blue green for the deployment uh simply because it's a it's a it's a huge monolith application uh i think it's important to control the blast radius in most of the cases uh the testing for these applications is not adequate uh, it's difficult actually to do a uh, complete testing and because of that a lot of issues come post deployment and that is why i would want to uh, i would want to control that uh, does that answer your question uh, am i missing something is there a state which is being stored on the system itself uh, if that is the case uh, i would like to understand what's the size of the state uh, is it few properties file that we are talking about uh, or we are talking about uh, complete embedded database let's say like uh, like sqlite or badger or rocksdb Anything to add, Javier? 
Nope. Thank you very much. Just classic, uh, classic DB, MSSQL, uh, plus the cache. Um, okay, very, very good. And then while lead is another question, uh, are you posting the slides? If not, can you share the Discord server in here? So I'll be posting the slides, but still let me post it here. Very, very good. <clears throat> right, so uh, we are looking for contributions, right? So it's a fairly nascent product. We open sourced it last year, November, though we have uh, we have some of the large unicorns in India as our customers, and now we are looking towards outside India to expand uh, expand our user base. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, we are a fairly small company, right? So we are looking for people who can work with us to help us create a better vision, to work with us to build more features into it, right? So, uh, so I'll be more than happy if any one of you feels interested, would want to contribute, would want to discuss, would want to get involved at any level. Uh, for the Devton specifically. Very good. Well, I have I have a question. Prashant, have you ever taught in university? Never. You'd be a very good teacher. I'm, I'm just saying, for my opinion, like you, the way you structured your ideas, responding to questions, very interested in answering the questions as well. We've gone a little bit over time, but it was totally worth it. Um, so I'm I'm extremely happy with all the, the depth. I would say this, I think we will have to plan another meetup for later this year perhaps get a little bit more technical um, to see some of the, to see some of the things, uh, maybe like you said, take a deep dive on some of these things. Um, but I, I really, really liked it. And, and once again, is that we are talking about technical concepts, but we're also talking about cultural things that were mentioned by, by different folks out there. Thanks to Saudi Walid um, for, for your questions they were very, very useful to drive the conversations in different areas. And I thank you as well, Prashan, for being so patient in how you answered them. Um, we have a tradition. So Gorka, can you can you share our screen? Um, every every time we do a meetup, we always have our graphic recorder, um, Angel, who's doing a visual representation of the topics that are being discussed here. So in a second, we will be able to share that with you. Oh, there you go. Prashant, you should be able to see that. So these are obviously, we talked about a lot more things. You talked about a lot more things, but I think Angel did a good job of getting some of the main tasks there, talking about the guardrails, showing responsibility, helping developers focus on the things that are important, um, all the things that are necessary in order for collaboration to happen. Um, so anyway, very, 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 very great job, Prashant. Very, very nice to have you with us today. Um, uh, Gorka, if you can stop sharing my screen. Um, as always, everyone, if you have an idea for a meetup, for a talk, you know how to get in touch with us, get in our Slack, check out our webpage. I really enjoyed the talk that we had today. Um, and like I said, I certainly would love to have you back. Um, so anyway, uh, I think we, we got the links to, um, the, the discord server, check out Devtron labs, obviously a company with a lot of dynamic, interesting things that are happening. Um, Prashant, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks a lot for having me here and thanks for the ex excellent audience that we have. Yeah. Really thank good you. audience. Yeah. Great audience today. Thank you very much for all the questions. Um, looking forward to continuing the conversation in Slack. Prashant, I know you're very busy, but we already have some questions for you waiting for you. Um, so anyway, we'll be talking soon. Same here. Thank you. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.